You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with your co-host, James Rapine. Joe Burrow back in Cincinnati speaking with Cincinnati media today. He was also on the national championship broadcast last night talking with Reggie Bush. And we got some good news about his knee from the national championship broadcast. We'll let you hear what he had to say about the progression of his rehab. We'll also talk about what he had to say to the Cincinnati media today. We had some interesting tweets from Joe Mixon that are now deleted during the national championship game as well. It sounds like he, as well as many others, was enamored with Devonta Smith and also maybe likes Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow also talking about Jamar Chase today a little bit. And we'll play you what Joe Burrow had to say about Jamar Chase in this episode coming up just a little bit later. We're going to get started with the coach that the Bengals interviewed for the defensive line coach position. And then we're going to take a look a little bit at the end of the show at the Bengals free agents. We've done this a few times, but now that the season's over, we're going to try to get a picture of where they're at from a cap perspective and how their prospective free agents might fit into that cap going into the free agency period here in just a little bit over two months. James, the news of the day is probably Joe Burrow. Before we get to Burrow's comments, though, James, I saw that you posted about a defensive line coach candidate that the Bengals are set to interview, and that is Andre Carter. The same Andre Carter that had over 80 career sacks. He's had four years of coaching experience, starting with the Miami Dolphins as the assistant defensive line coach from 2017 to 2018. He's been with the Jets for the last two years. And so the Bengals could go to the Jets for coaching help on both sides of the trenches, or this could just be one of the guys they're interviewing because like offensive line coach, you would expect that they're probably going to interview multiple candidates. And if offensive line coach was any indication, they might err on the side of experience here again, but there is a connection with this Bengals coaching staff for Andre Carter. Isn't there? A lot of Bengals fans are going to cringe here when I say this, but he coached with Lou Anarumo in Miami in 2017 Anarumo was the defensive backs coach, and Carter was the assistant defensive line coach. But I actually like this, and I like this move for a couple of reasons. One, you got a guy in Carter who went to a Pro Bowl, was Chad Johnson's teammate, by the way, who, for those who like connections, back in 2011 on the Patriots, played all those years as a former seventh overall pick, 80 sacks like you mentioned. So he's got the, the player credentials. But this guy started as a graduate assistant back in 2015. And he's worked his ass off and and became a defensive line coach with the Jets in in 2019. Uh, Obviously, the Adam Gase experiment failed there in New York. So why not bring a former pro bowler in and pick his brain? And look, I'm very critical of Zach Taylor. But if they end up with a guy in Andre Carter who's been there, done that, I think is instantly going to command respect in the room. And and I don't know about his coaching style. I'm not going to say that yet. But you hope that, that that aspect of it, that he's. Um, close to mastering, if not mastered that, then that's a good get. And so I like that they're talking to a guy as established as Carter is. Here's what it tells us that they're talking to Andre Carter for this position. He's coached another three, four kind of hybrid defensive front 
that Lou Anarumo likes. So this is the kind of guy that you should expect them to hire from a schematic perspective. He has a little bit of that experience. The Jets this year did the same sort of thing where they would have three down linemen quite consistently. And like James said, he's a former player, should have a lot of success in terms of connecting to the players. And he comes from a playing career that, you know, he had some success. He was with the Patriots for two different stints in 2011 and 2013. So he's been around Bill Belichick's program, which is obviously good experience for anybody who wants to coach in the NFL. The the question that you would have is, you know, former defensive end, he hasn't had production from his defensive end so much in New York. This year in 2020, he had really good production from John Franklin Myers and Quinnen Williams, who were both interior kind of defensive linemen. He didn't get a whole lot out of his edge rushers, Terrell Basham, Jordan Jenkins. I mean, not exactly household names, right? He probably is working with better talent in Cincinnati, at least at the edge. And he knows what a good interior pass rusher looks like. So kind of a mixed bag there in terms of what kind of success he has had, especially in recent years as the head guy in the defensive line. I I haven't admittedly gone and looked at Jets tape to see what they're doing schematically in terms of stunts and twists and how he likes to scheme his pass rushes, that sort of thing. But just looking at results, you would hope that, you know, a guy was able to get a little bit more out of his edge rushers. And again, better talent in Cincinnati, especially if Carl Lawson is retained. So there is some upside here. He's another young guy. Like you said, James, you know, he's recently, you know, he was only playing eight years ago, right? So Mm -hmm. recent playing experience and he's got the schematic experience. So it's a positional coach hire where, we're not really going to have much of an idea of how it's going to go. It's it's very different from offensive line coach where there's a lot more known about those guys. I think there's a bigger responsibility for those guys. And for defensive line coach, I personally would hope they would go outside of the box a little bit. But as you see in the NFL, you you see coaches hire who they know. And, and that's just kind of the way it works. Familiarity is key, and the fact that they made a decision to to, to keep Luana Rumo, he's going to want someone that fits his system. So we'll see how it works out. He might not even get the job. So uh, I think he's going to interview next week. That's the plan now. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, let's switch gears, Jake. And something Joe Mixon said during the national championship game, where Devonta Smith went off. I mean, insane. Put up record numbers in just a half. We've seen what the the Heisman Trophy winner has done all season long and Joe Mixon, who's not shy about sharing his feelings on free agency and draft. He did so again on Twitter. He said, quote, we're grabbing Devonta Smith. If we get an offensive lineman in free agency. And he said lineman in free agency, but I'm adding offensive because that's what he's implying. And then after that, he followed that up. Let's see. It was uh, just one minute later or chase implying Chase, uh, Jamar Chase, the the LSU star wide receiver who opted out this year with a shrugging emoji and a smiley face. So it sounds like Joe Mixon, his logic falls in line with uh, what we're saying here on Locked on Bengals. Maybe he's a listener, Jake. I'm sure Joe listens, just like he plays everybody in Madden. I think he's an Xbox gamer only. So if you want to go take on Joe Mixon in Madden, I hear he's pretty good. Um. I think that the most interesting part of this isn't the wide receiver part. I mean, sure, you can read into that all you want. Is that we grabbing Devontae Smith 
if we get linemen, and you, you, you kind of paraphrased it a little bit. You said an offensive lineman. I'm not sure if he means plural or singular here, to be honest. It could mean linemen. He, he does say lineman, but I don't know, man. Linemen in context kind of makes sense. So the, the <laughs> interesting part here, Joe Mixon has deleted these tweets, is that he's aware of, of this need they have to improve in the trenches and, you know, I think he's excited that Pollock is back. He's excited that there's some change potentially coming on the offensive line and also very impressed, like the rest of us, with Devontae Smith. And I was one of the people that was very quick. I quote tweeted both of these tweets as they happened. And I was quick to, to say, oh, I guess I guess Joe forgot about Jamar Chase. And then, you know, seconds later, he he issues the correction. But the, the interesting thing is, is how he, how he's focused on offensive line. And he wasn't the only Bengal to talk about Jamar Chase today. Of course, Mixon did it unprompted, but Joe Burrow asked about it in his press conference. We'll hear what he had to say about Jamar Chase coming up next. You're unique and so are your taxes. TurboTax Live has experienced tax experts who listen to you, learn about your unique tax situations, and answer your questions. And on top of that, they can do your taxes from start to finish Maybe you started investing and want some reassurance from an expert that you're doing things right. Maybe you're self-employed and need some expert advice on what qualifies as a home office deduction. Or maybe you'd rather have an expert file your taxes for you so you can focus on what matters most. No matter what your situation is, TurboTax Live tax experts can answer your questions, give tax advice, review your return before you file, or do it all for you. TurboTax Live gives you confidence that your taxes are going to be done right. Intuit TurboTax Live. File with the help of an expert or let an expert file for you. Joe Burrow met with the media for the first time since that devastating knee injury back in November. And the 2019 Heisman Trophy winner wasn't asked about Devonta Smith like Joe Mixon and others have commented on over the past couple days. But he was asked about Jamar Chase, and obviously, Jake, we've talked about Jamar Chase a lot on this podcast. We're going to continue to the possibility of reuniting the two guys in Cincinnati. Well, Burrow was asked about his former number one receiver from his LSU days on Tuesday. Jamar's a really good player. It's pretty easy to throw to him when he's, you know, has five yards of separation every snap. He's an exciting player and, and a great guy and a friend as well. Um he was fun to play with. I assume you'd be okay with potential reunion in Cincinnati if that were to happen. Yeah, I wouldn't mind. Will you be parked in front of the TV on draft night or just, hey, just text me and tell me who we got? I think I'll be watching. I think I'll be watching. The draft is a, an exciting experience for a lot of people. I've always enjoyed watching it. So we know Joe Burrow's going to watch the draft like the rest of us, but the the fun part here, Jake, is the smirk. And and I posted the video at allbengals.com. The smirk he makes when he says, ah, I wouldn't mind. I think that, that uh, that's something he will uh, certainly be an advocate for if they do get the offensive line help that everyone agrees they need. Yeah, I, I think that there's a couple things about this that I like, right? First, when he talks about Jamar Chase, he's like, yeah, it's easy to throw to a guy that has five yards of separation every time you throw him the ball. He famously, at least we talked about it, threw into more tight windows as a percentage than I think any other quarterback in the league this year while he was active through, you know, the 10, 11 weeks he played. So he goes from 
throwing the most contested tight window passes in the NFL to, you know, thinking about a guy like Jamar Chase, who he talks about five yards of separation every time you throw him the ball. That's obviously not quite true, but there's a little bit of fantasizing there, I think, happening, right? Thinking about throwing to a guy that's very, very open after the amount of tight window balls he had to throw this year. So that part is interesting. The other part, of course, as you point out, the smirk, you know, the, the knowing smirk, like, yeah, I know that's on the on the table for us. That would be fun. That'd be cool. I wouldn't mind that. And I also think it's really cool the way he talks about the draft. He obviously didn't get to have that experience himself. And I wonder if there's any like living vicariously if they have a draft event this year. And we don't know if they will or they won't. They might be digital again this year. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they even probably are going to be digital this year. We'll see what way the NFL ends up going. I, I think that there's something innocent childlike wondrous about you know joe burrow's appreciation for the draft experience that makes it very relatable for people like you and me and all of our listeners who are fans of watching the draft it's one of the best days of the year (laughs) you know just draft weekend in general and paying attention to all the prospects and discussing the possibilities and i know for us and honestly i think for joe mixon for anybody they don't know i remember asking andy dalton back in maybe 2014, 2015, what do you do for the draft? And he's like, oh, I, I watch it. And, and, and I uh, do the same thing you guys do pretty much. And in all those conversations and about options and debates and back and forth, I'm sure they're going to have it, you know, and the players are going to have it throughout the draft. So it uh, it is kind of cool, though, that, to know that Joe's going to be watching it. Who knows? Maybe he'll watch the Bengals pick his, his guy, Jamar. That would be fun. I, I think that Joe Burrow – when he talks, people listen. We talk about anytime Joe Burrow is in the news for anything, no matter how minor. He was on the national championship broadcast on Monday night, too. And during that broadcast, he said something very interesting about his recovery. And it leads me to believe he might have a little bit of Adrian Peterson and Wolverine's healing factor in his blood. Let's take a listen <laughs> to what he had to say. All the feedback that I've got from doctors is that, you know, I'm, I'm, It'll be six weeks out from surgery on Wednesday. My knee looks like it's about 10 to 12 weeks out from surgery. So I'm, I'm on track to, to do what I need to do this offseason to, to start week one. Obviously, there's always opportunities for setbacks. But as of right now, I'm, I'm looking real good to start that season the way I want to. Burrow did say today when he was talking to Cincinnati media that he didn't think he would be ready for preseason games. He said he thought that would be pushing it. Of course, that's the difference of, you know, three weeks in terms of being prepared. He talked about he'll he'll take his reps, he'll gain his confidence in practice. But how about that? His knee looks like a knee that is twice as far away from surgery as it's actually been. He's he's six weeks post-surgery, he said. Uh, tomorrow on Wednesday, probably when you're listening to this and his knee looks like it's 10 to 12 weeks out of surgery. And he also talked in his conversation with Cincinnati media today, James, about a torn labrum that he had. He had surgery on after his junior year that he said also healed quickly. He was ready to go for all of spring ball. So perhaps the Bengals quarterback has been blessed with a little bit of super healing. And I I think he was smart to say, nah, I'm not going to play in the preseason because it leaves the door open for him to play in the preseason, right? As you mentioned, it's not a big difference time-wise. And instead now of having that expectation, 
he just has it on week one and who knows maybe he does return like Carson did for Carson Palmer way back in 06 in, in that week three preseason game against the Packers I, I wouldn't be shocked at the same time he played without a preseason he knows what it's like and and so I, I think it was smart to hedge his bet there the other thing that I think is interesting Jake he said he's going to start running on the the underwater treadmill which takes about half the impact off they usually start at about 50% of your body weight to make it easier on that knee as you build up the strength in it. Start running um, in between four and six weeks. So it's 10 to 12 weeks after surgery. And I do wonder, since he's ahead of schedule here, will that timeline be pushed up at all? Uh, you know, is that, and that's not something he's going to put on himself, but you never know. And the same thing goes for throwing as well. He said he could be throwing as soon as mid-February. So, so those are two really good milestones and between now and then, I think it's just a lot of rehabilitation, strength training. He mentioned he was doing body weight squats, which are a pain in the ass anyways. <laughs> so the fact that he's already doing those, I think, is a good sign. They're less of a pain if you eat built bars, though, right? Anyway, uh, I, I think that it's a great sign for Joe Burrow getting the the feedback that his knee is ahead of schedule structurally. It'll be interesting to see if we do hear anything about his rehab schedule. I don't know if we will hear from him anytime soon this might be the the one that we get until the preseason comes along we'll, we'll see if we get any other opportunities from here for to hear from joe burrow locally i would be less surprised if he goes on some national shows between now and then but the the other thing that i think he said that was really entertaining for me that i kind of got a chuckle out of is he's like yeah i'm through the hard part of the rehab it's all downhill from here now the fun part begins you ever heard somebody talk about rehabbing an ACL? Any part of rehabbing an ACL is fun. Do you buy it, James? Is this going to be fun for Joe Burrow? I think it's fun in a sense that Joe's competitive. And when you you have these expectations, 9 to 12 months, and then you publicly put out there week one, well, now there's a drive. You, that, that that competitiveness, that, that ability, the, the mental toughness, all those things – that you like about Joe Burrow. Now they're being put to the test. And it's it's a race to get back in time for the start of the season. In, in that part of it, I think that challenge, I think he thrives on that. I think there are competitive people that love that, and there are others that hate those type of expectations. But hell, he's gone on with the Cincinnati media, Fox Sports, the night of the national championship like you played. Um, he, he's gone on what Colin Cowherd last week, probably other places that I don't even know and said, Hey, week one. And so he's putting that expectation on himself. So I think the fun part for him is the competitive side of things and it gets the juices flowing. And now he can do everyday things, walk, put on his pants, get dressed, all those things that he couldn't do initially. So now the benchmarks and the progression and the, the race to be ready for week one, I think that part is fun. Obviously, the the picking and prodding and the the daily crap that comes with rehab probably isn't fun. But the overall outlook and really trying to be ready for his guys, for his team, I think that challenge, he's embracing it. And that part, in a way, is probably fun for him. Good for Joe Burrow, finding the fun in ACL rehab. And the only question that I have at this point, James, is what's his chess.com username? Let me let me play some chess, Joe. Let's get it. I'm just saying. Joe Burrow said he was playing some chess. That's why I bring it up. He said he watched the Queen's Gambit. They had a fun little exchange. Y'all should watch the Queen's Gambit too. It's a fun show if you care about chess at all. Even if you don't, 
Anyway, that's enough of talking about Joe Burrow today. Let's talk a little bit about the free agency prospects and the money prospects for the Bengals coming up in a very important 2021 offseason coming up next. BetOnline.ag is our favorite place to go for odds. It's the place we trust for all of our sports betting needs. And right now, they'll give you a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit if you use promo code LOCKEDON. You've got NFL playoffs left to bet on. There are two AFC North teams left in there. And if you're anything like me, you pay attention to them a little bit more than the other teams that are still playing in the playoffs. Or maybe you're a Buffalo bro and you've you've adopted the Buffalo Bengals hybrid logo and you're cheering on the Buffalo Bills. No matter who you're rooting for in the playoffs, there's an opportunity to get your bets in, whether it's a player prop, whether it's a parlay, whether it's an individual game. They've got everything you need for bets. They'll even do custom props. And that's my favorite part about betonline.ag. You can check them out again at betonline.ag. You'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit when you use promo code Locked On. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. James, we've done two mock draft Mondays now. And in both of them, we've talked about, well, free agency is really going to inform a lot of what we think the Bengals are going to be targeting in this draft, whether they're going to be comfortable trading back, whether they're going to even consider trading up for a guy like Penny Sewell if they think they're just one guy away, if they are going to take a wide receiver. But before we can get to other teams' free agents, it seems prudent to me to talk about the Bengals' free agency situation and the Bengals' cap situation a little bit. We did talk about this with Brad from PFF. He's their cap expert. He formerly did some work for Over the Cap. I think maybe still does some work for Over the Cap a few weeks ago. Because looking ahead to 2021, if the Bengals make no moves whatsoever, they're currently projected for $42 million in cap space, assuming a $185 million salary cap. Now, the minimum salary cap for 2021 due to revenue lost from COVID this season in the NFL is actually $175 million. So that number is likely to change. I think that there are expectations that it could be a little bit higher than $185 million, but really... We won't know until the NFL lets everybody know what that number is going to look like. So the Bengals could have as low as $32 million, as much as $52 million before any cap cuts. Now we'll come back to cap cuts in a minute. They have a lot of free agents, James. The Mm -hmm. biggest of those is A.J. Green, who almost certainly will not be retained. The second biggest of those from an average per year perspective, Sean Williams, followed by John Ross. So, All of those guys expected not to return. So that is already accounted for in their cap space. But you don't have to worry about, most likely, an $18 million extension for A.J. Green that's going to eat up some of the cap. So where you start to think about, we might need to pay some of these guys or guys like Mackenzie Alexander, to some extent Kevin Huber, certainly William Jackson... And a guy like Carl Lawson, and in both of those cases, you could be looking at very large raises. Those are the two biggest salary increases you could see on a retained Bengal in 2021. And those are the two that everyone's talking about and thinking about. But you're right. They have a lot of free agents that they're going to have to discuss. And I do think that one of the two, William Jackson the third or Carl Lawson, one of those two guys will likely be franchise tagged. Right? It just it seems like a, a tough tough spot for them to get both deals done without either guy trying free agency. It doesn't mean they won't want to come back or that they won't come back, 
but they've made it. They've both both dealt with injuries. They had healthy contract seasons. You do that, why, as a player, to test free agency. So that part will be interesting. I think the Bengals franchise tag, at least one of them. And, and so those are the two. But outside of that, you still have to fill a team, and, and you still have to uh, address the offensive line like we're talking about. Maybe they address the defensive line. And I think that part of the the money, that the, the key, and you teased it, they're going to have to move on from some of these veterans that come with big cap numbers because they need to free up money because keeping Carl Lawson makes more sense than keeping Geno Atkins. Keeping William Jackson III makes a ton of sense because you don't want to open up another hole on defense, but you still have other holes that you need to fill. And I think that's going to be kind of the key where they're pressed, whether the cap is 175 or 195, they're going to have to find a way to free up a little more space just so they feel comfortable with what they're doing and, and how they're going to be. Because they're going to have some money, but I think they're going to want to open up some more money so they can push it in free agency. And that assumes that they will make another push like they did last year to actually go spend that money. And I certainly think that we all have that expectation right now. For the record, Over the Cap is projecting the franchise tag for a defensive end this year to be $17 million and some change. And for a cornerback, it's about $15 million, a little bit less. So the, the cap hit for a franchise tag on a corner, about $2 million, $2.5 million less than the cap hit for a defensive end. And the Bengals also have guys they have to make decisions on, like Mike Thomas, Quentin, Quentin Spain. Uh, I mentioned, I think, Mike Daniels, or if I didn't mention Mike Daniels, that's another guy they might consider bringing back for depth. We talked about Marcus Hunt a few weeks ago as a guy they might want to give some money to. And if those guys are sticking around, those are probably small raises that start to chip away at that cap number. That being said, let's take a look at some of the cap hits, they or the cap casualties, I guess, the cap money they could save by cutting some guys that they're not probably getting as much out of as they want. And the hardest one of these to discuss is Geno Atkins. His cap number for 2021 is $14.7 million, and it's impossible really to know where the Bengals stand on Atkins right now. Could be that they have a mentality about Atkins very similar to what they had about Dunlap, where they thought he could still be a very good player, and he was just hurt this year. And if they chalk it all up to injury and they expect him to be a good player next year, well, then maybe you don't cut him and you keep that cap number on the books. But if they do choose to move on and they say, you know what, Gino, you were hurt. Sorry it didn't work out. We have to save some money. We have to go in a different direction or we have to have you take less money. One of those two things. And he can make that choice for himself. The cap savings are nine and a half million dollars. You get nearly 10 million more dollars to play with against the cap. If they cut Geno Atkins, you eat $5.2 million in dead cap this year. The other most likely cap cut candidates that we've talked about in the past are Bobby Hart, where you can save nearly $6 million. You'd also incur a $1 million dead cap hit, but the savings are still $6 million, give or take. I don't think that CJ Uzama is at risk of being a cap cut at this point, but there is a potential $5 million saving there if they really need the cap space. And Giovanni Bernard is another one that's pretty hard to think about given his contributions to the team this year, but he has a $4.8 million cap hit. And with Joe Mixon expected to be the bell cow for your running game, that's just a lot of money to be paying your second running back and a lot of money with, when combined with Mixon's cap hit, which goes up next year, to spend on the running back position. And a guy like Gio, I think he might have in the last year of that deal, and I get it, it's an ugly deal when you talk about money-wise from the running back position. Are you sure they can't trade him for something? 
and get a, a day three pick, get something for him, a guy who's a really high-end pass blocker, can catch out of the backfield. Yeah. I wouldn't be shocked if a contending team was interested in giving a, a later round pick for Geo. So th- that's the thing here, Jake. If if the Bengals are going to maximize this offseason and take advantage of Joe Burrow and really try to open up this, let's not even say Super Bowl window because we're you know they won four games, this AFC North competitive window competing in arguably the best division in football, and I think that's fair to say, then they have to, have to, have to think outside the box, which is something historically that they haven't done, and they have to be aggressive. And that means you might have to move on from Geno Atkins. That means you might have to entertain trade offers for Giovanni Bernard. Even a guy like C.J. Uzama, who is going to be rehabbing with Joe Burrow, a big part of the organization, maybe you try to extend him a year and lower that cap number this season coming off of an Achilles, it might be a little risky, but if you can keep a good leader around and do it by being creative, uh, I think that that might be the path for a guy like that. So they're, they're going to have to, and I think you'd agree with this. Don't uh, they have to have to have to be creative, flexible and aggressive with how they construct this roster because they need to find a way to get competitive again. Now to, to evaluate Zach Taylor, I don't want to be talking about injuries a year from now, or lack of talent in certain spots that that prevented this team from really evaluating the coaching staff or really evaluating insert whoever that you think could be on the chopping block. That can't be the excuse. And so that means it needs to be a pretty big offseason to to put the pieces around and put the pieces in place to have success. And that offseason is always going to be limited by money. And the the most efficiently or, or the more efficiently they spend the money, I guess, the, the better you feel about their chances to be competitive right away. So just for the sake of, of getting some rough numbers out there for our listeners, I went to the over-the-cap calculator, and these are the moves that I did. Some, some very basic moves just to ballpark what their cap number might be. I did a cap cut on the following players, Gino Atkins, Bobby Hart, Giovanni Bernard, BJ Finney, and Xavier Suofilo. All of that together, and, and you can argue the merits either way, just, just for the sake of example here. Those moves, in addition to a franchise tag on William Jackson, so this can move it $4 million one way or the other if you switch it to Carl Lawson, for example, that puts the Bengals at $52 million of space. They can get to $52 million of space if they think that they can spend that money against the cap. And remember that cap isn't the same as cash, and we'll get into that another day. But if they can use that cap space more efficiently to get guys that'll make a difference, a bigger difference to winning games than Geno Atkins, Bobby Hart, Giovanni Bernard, BJ Finney, and Xavier Suofilo, then those are the moves you make. You, you, you know, Hypothetically, you make those moves, you go spend $20 million on Taylor Moten. And against the cap, maybe in year one, that's only $15 million, right? And then you're down to 37. And now you have to spend $37 million. Well, maybe $17 million of that's Carl Lawson. You're down to 30. And maybe $10 million of those dollars you're spending on filling out the roster with some, some cheap deals. And you've you got to set aside, you know, as Jeff Hobson would do, $5 million or so for your rookie pool. It's not exactly that. But you get to about $18 million still to play with. After all of those moves. So the Bengals do have money. They can get creative with the money. And if they cut or trade 
or do pick swaps to, to get creative and find ways to, to maximize the assets that they have between draft picks and money, then they're accelerating their window and getting competitive as soon as they can now that they've got Joe Burrow quarterback. So that's the framework to think about when you're evaluating their financial situation and their resources going into this offseason. Hopefully that helps you conceptualize it a little bit, some, some examples there. And that'll be something that I think we all have to keep in mind when we start to see what comes out from Butch Hobson in a couple of weeks or in a month or two that says the Bengals only have $5 million to spend. I think they've shown us last year they're not doing accounting the same way they used to. And we'll see if they fall into old habits or stick with the new ways in just a couple of months. That's going to do it for this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We're back tomorrow. Until then, Bengals fans, who day and have a good one.